Hello, Michael Tingsay here. Coming Back Stronger is a special edition podcast series focusing on the way food and drinks businesses are bouncing back as the world slowly starts to reopen from COVID-19. We'll be especially sharing great stories on how progressive leaders are bouncing back from the pandemic by utilizing the power of technology and delivery. By listening into these conversations, in the coming period, you'll be able to pick up great stories, insights, and facts, as well as best practice from industry experts, independent operators, national chains who already are setting a new standard for how to operate in the new normal. Vita Mojo and Hospitality Mavericks join forces on this project due to we have a shared belief on how tech plays a massive role in building companies that's good for people, communities, and our planet. In this episode, we put together a very strong panel with industry expert Peter Backman and Mark McLean to discuss the impact of the pandemic on the industry as we see it right now, what operators are doing to survive and thrive now and in the future, the fast evolution of delivery and digitalization, as well as some great advice for operators on how to bounce back. Grab your notebook and pen. I can promise you, you're in for some great insights and thinking you want to implement straight away. Welcome to this special edition podcast series, where we are going to be talking a bit about uh, today, how are we actually coming back from all this pandemic and challenges that's been across the industry. And today we have uh, not just one guest, we have two guests. We have a panel today. We have Peter Backman and Mark McGlynn to try to help give a bit of an, uh, an overview about where we are as an industry how the uh, operators are thriving and surviving, what are they doing operationally, how are they pivoting into the next phase uh, as we start reopening Britain. And then we're also going to talk a bit about how is the future going to look from what we know today. It's changing all the time. So welcome to the podcast, uh, first of all, Peter. Thank you very much, Michael. I'm, I'm looking forward to it very much. Peter, just your elevator pitch, you are a veteran on this podcast uh, and, and we had had a lot of conversation in, in the past, but for people out there that still don't know who Peter Backman is, uh, can you give them the, the quick overview who you are and what you do within the industry? Yes, certainly. My job really is to help enlighten people who need to make decisions anywhere within the food service market. So that's everywhere from Wormwood Scrubs to the Ritz and the whole supply chain. I think today we're probably going to be focusing on the restaurant sector, but that's just that's just a part of what I look at. And I work with operators, I work with investors, and I work with suppliers to the industry, both in this country and internationally. Great. And uh, Mark McGlenn, welcome to the, the podcast as well. Thank you, Michael. Uh, thank you, firstly, for hosting this event. And I'm delighted to be here with uh, both you and Peter. I've worked in the food sector for many years across a variety of roles, food operations to systems design. My last corporate role was with Pret-a-Manger as their head of food operations and equipment innovation. Uh, on leaving Pret, I worked as a food service innovation consultant and went on to set up the Food Systems Network, which is an um, open innovation platform that works to improve the sustainability of our food production, uh, distribution, and service industries. Uh, last year, we launched a major project called Food on the Move with a conference at the Barbican Center. This project looks at the changes to the food system wrought by the 
by the uptake of food delivery and the byproducts of the dominant delivery platforms, things like um, levels of waste, unsafe food management practices, displacement or lack of regulatory control. Um, so this is what I'm looking at the moment. Uh, we felt that you know food delivery could and ought to be really <laughs> quite a bit different. So we set out to design and develop a new model of what a food delivery platform would look like if it were a public service. And this is what I'm doing now. Great, great, Mark. Um, so to kick off this, um, we are now in the uh, the last weeks of May. We have had, uh, I don't know if lockdown have lifted. I'm actually still confused after the prime ministers. Uh, but let's just say we're in some kind of form of lockdown, uh, definitely in people's perception. Uh, and... Uh, and there's a lot happened the last nine weeks, a lot of pivoting going on. And there has been a lot of impact and a lot of, you know, help packages put in, in general in business, but especially in the, the hospitality industry, we've seen a lot of that. Uh, closures, pivoted, moving on. But Peter, where are we from your point of view, if you take the helicopter view on it right now, and how have the industry been impacted by the, the pandemic, the COVID-19? Um, well, as I said before, I, I'm assuming that we're going to really be focusing on the restaurant and a pub and quick service sector, that that area. But the eating out market is much wider than that. Uh, um, and it covers everything from schools to work, workplace feeding and also uh, um, the healthcare sector, which is the only sector uh, which is showing any any signs of of activity, um, unfortunately, um, other than the military and prisons, the eating out market in restaurants, pubs, quick service has broadly um, come to a halt. There is a little bit of activity in in all those sectors, and particularly around uh, takeaway and delivery, but it's not enough to keep the industry going. Uh, long term, that is. So people within the industry are are just coping uh, with uh, with their current circumstances. They've over the the last two months since the lockdown started, the the first couple of weeks was all about just finding out where they were, what they could do, almost almost panic mode. But I'm I'm uh, uh, amazed at how um, strategic and rational people actually were at that particular time. And since then, we've gone through a number of phases and we've sort of reached a point, I think, where people are now not not relishing the future, but anticipating the future, making plans. That's what a lot of people are doing. Unfortunately, a lot of other people are saying, I really don't know what I'm going to be doing because my long-term future is looking so uh, doubtful. So there are a whole white, there's a whole range of uh, ac activity, a whole range of concerns, and um, overall the industry is flat on its back. Mark, what is your view? Similar, same question. Where do you see we are right now from from for your point of the world and um, where are we moving towards? Well, uh, uh, thank you for the question. I think if we just begin by you know, reflecting on the, the seriousness of where we are, 
Um, and I, I, I would begin as, as Peter has with, with the economics. Uh, economically, I believe the food industry is headed for a clearing out. Uh, that's how I refer to it. And uh, for many, this is going to be very hard. And unemployment in this sector is going to rise starkly. Many food businesses will not survive. And, and I think there are estimates that anywhere between 40 and 50% of all food businesses will close. I, I don't dispute this figure. It's true that you know the furlough scheme introduced by the chancellor has been helpful, but it will be too short-lived to uh, safeguard food businesses from the inevitable downturn uh, that's coming. The impact of the pandemic has not really been felt evenly across all restaurant types. We we know this and we have discussed this before, but it has brought many, if not most, to an abrupt halt. So that's the first thing to, to note. Everything has just wound down. Um, so we're all very concerned. Um, and due to various factors, food businesses, particularly independents, uh, have been forced to survive on re- you know really small margins for a very long time. Three months of closure might have been survivable, but six months is not. Uh, delayed rent charges will only last for you know an agreed period. Um, reopening will require restocking, which is a significant cost. Restaffing, which is another cost, and there's a question around whether workers would even return. And once again, you know, reestablishing your customer base. Will they return? How safe will they feel if they return? How safe are they and how safe can they be? All of this adds additional cost as well as additional questions. Um, the measures we need to uh, introduce are sizable. Uh, many food businesses have not been able to answer really any of these questions uh, to highlight what what Peter has said. I think that's absolutely true. The questions are ongoing. So firstly, food businesses must be financially viable. And the question is, given the context of the pandemic, are they? Even to achieve the government's initiative to um, underwrite loans from the banks, they've had to ask themselves this question. Many believe, and I think quite correctly, that their current model of business is no longer viable. Some are thinking, obviously, about other operational models, and, and I think we're going to look at this later on. So to answer you know, the, the question, if we glance across the food service sector and ask ourselves, you know, which key segments have large businesses that are seriously challenged financially by COVID-19 and whose future may be in question, I believe we will have the beginning of an answer and a hint, really, of what uh, food businesses will be doing to survive and what they look like. So I think we can identify three segments, and and some might find this surprising. Firstly, delivery platforms. Deliveroo, as is well known, is looking to secure $575 from Amazon if approved. This investment uh, will not be used to expand its technology or enlarge its business scope. It will be used to displace debt. The current business model behind most food delivery platforms like Deliveroo is is quite hollow. It's not profitable, nor is it ever likely to be. It's an investment package that uh, feeds off of the illusion of growth and requires continual cash injection to maintain the illusion. So the current model of the delivery platform is in serious trouble. I mean, we'll talk about this more, I'm sure, particularly because these platforms are positioning themselves as key providers. This is really interesting. I think grocery delivery with uh, UK government endorsement and and possibly UK government money. Um, So it's very important to look at this, but also because 
alternate food delivery models are emerging, and this is a keen area of innovation. So firstly, food delivery platforms, current models not viable. What else? Well, secondly, the larger food retail chains on the high street, like Pret-a-Manger, Itsu, Pod, Pure, etc., are also seriously challenged. Pret is currently looking for $100 million in urgent funding to keep it in good order. Why? Uh, we may ask ourselves. It's furloughed most of its workers. It has excellent food safety and food production systems and is owned by uh, JAB Holdings. Well, why? Well, it needs to restart and, as it says, transform its business after an extended period of closure. I think we will find that almost without exception, these businesses will be looking to secure large-scale investment to do exactly that, to restart and transform their businesses. And this question is absolutely key, is absolutely key to, to the future of all food businesses. And then um, finally, contract catering. Very large companies like Compass Group and Sodexo are in serious trouble. Both Sodexo and Compass Group have seen their shares tumble, and both are seeking uh, large-scale investment. The Compass Group are looking for something like $2 billion in investment. I mean, the claim that they will use the proceeds to reduce debt and, and short finance is being made, but I think they're also talking about digital transformation. So we only need to think of their business model to understand, I think, why it is seriously constrained by this pandemic. Um, their catering business serves office workers, travelers, conference attendees, schools, corporate events, etc. You know where people gather in large numbers regularly. This is uh, is not going to be happening, and therefore the core purpose of their catering model has just been hollowed out. Uh, they need to completely reimagine their business, and they need to focus on the capabilities that can be acquired through technology. Or so that's what they say. So people still need to be fed. Office workers as a category, for instance, need to be fed. But how? Office workers who, who do return to their offices will return in staggered shifts and will not be gathering to dine altogether as they had before. And, and there are some service models that cater precisely to this type of client. So I think what I'm saying is that if we look at the key segments of the market, they have been all fundamentally disrupted. But more so than that, they're actually actively innovating a fundamental change to their operational model. And that is going to affect every business, every food business in the food business sector. That, that's super interesting views, both uh, Peter and Mark. Um, I think we will definitely come back to the delivery. I just want to pause that because that's a really interesting conversation that comes up the, the last couple of weeks where there has been both in the press, but also what I've served myself around Deliveroo. And yeah, so we'll come back to that in a second. And a thing I've observed is as well that there's some products, they just work better and they also work quite well because they're already delivery products. Pizzas, uh, takeaway options, they've done quite well in, in all this. But then you have the whole casual dining story that was already uh, escalating as we were approaching the pandemic. And I think you said, Peter, as well, they were already being disrupted by delivery and, and other models. And uh, and then you have fine dining. Um, I heard today that I read an article that Danny Meyer has said that we will not opening our dining spaces if there's no vaccine. And uh, Corbin and King have followed that. Hawks more as well. Um, so you can see that part of people where people have to come and sit in and have an experience. 
they're very nervous about opening up with all these restrictions of, you know, where, uh, where you have to stacker things in, where you have to have plexiglass up, uh, sanitize all, everywhere, because maybe it's not possible for them actually to, to charge enough to run a business. It's, it's better business to keep closed to a safe environment um so yeah yeah it's it's it it actually uh, i think there was a guy i talked with yesterday a very experienced uh, operator said this is for me feels like now we're going into the desert walk and uh, we don't know if we have enough water to go through the the valley of death and i thought that was a super interesting analogy it's just one foot in front of the other what Peter, you talk a lot about in your weekly newsletter. Was there was they were monthly, and now they became weekly, uh, and you can follow them through Peter's website, I guess, Peter. Um, uh, but you talk a lot about how many are opening. Can you give us a bit of an overview about how many have actually reopened, and what are they doing right now as operator to 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 reopen? Um, I, I will answer that question, Michael. But um, I I would just like to raise a contextual question which i think is fundamentally important and that is we're in and and you've both alluded to that um we're in a position where nobody knows what's going to happen in previous some business cycles there's been some knowledge that well it's going to you know we're going to have to go through a process of raising money or Things are going to be tough for a while, but we're going to get back because we've done it before um, uh, several times. Right now, we don't know where we are, primarily because the issue is a medical issue, and we don't know what the um, what the virus is going to do, what it's capable of, of, and how we're going to react. So the the whole environment that we're working in it's not only this industry it's it's every industry and it's global is uh is working in a situation where we know nothing um i I just wanted to make that point because i i think that is fundamentally important um so people can have plans but quite frankly who knows um but coming back to your your point about reopening, what happened immediately after the lockdown was that all restaurants, all pubs, all takeaways other than a handful closed down. So uh, an industry of 120,000 units, uh, sites, uh, closed down just like that overnight. What's been happening is that parts of it um, have be, have started coming back to life again. So the independent uh, takeaway segment, uh, um, local coffee shops or um, pizza takeaways, uh, uh, quite a number of them just carried on because they had to, because the people running them needed some income. So the, the, they they've carried on. A, a few of the uh, the branded chains kept some of their sites open, but most didn't. They then went through a period of two or three weeks of evaluating what they should do, and then some started opening up, uh, perhaps on a trial basis. The initial um, openings were to support uh, the NHS and the the frontline people and the vulnerable. At least those those are the messages which are being sent out. But I think underlying it was also a need to 
test out the internal systems? Do the staff want to come in and work? Uh, is there enough social distancing behind the counter? How do the delivery riders get into the store? How do customers get into the store when it's a takeaway? All those things need to be worked out from scratch because the the sites were not designed to do it. We're now in a position um, where over the last four weeks, um, roughly 1,500 of the branded outlets out of uh, estates with a total of around about 12,000 have opened. So we're talking about just over 10% of um, possible sites are open from a n not all brand, not all brands have opened but those who are have there is um around about uh, 12 15% are now open and of course the business that they're doing is only a proportion of what they were doing before uh, i've heard of of companies who are doing 80 or 80% or more out of some sites of their formal business, former business, um, others just doing 10 or 15%. And at that level, you can't really justify doing it because when you, you're open, you've got staff to pay, even though most of your staff may be furloughed, you're not getting and still getting enough income uh, to, to pay the people that you're employing. So it's still reasonably or still quite a lot hand to mouth, um, although there is some activity going on in the industry. And I guess, you know, this is very impacted by, you know, the consumer's trust of coming back into the world, because in principle, we should be coming back into the world from what the government says. But again, it's this trust thing that, you know, do we actually, from a public health point of view, are we on top of it? On the other side, do we actually have, you know, have the, the politicians actually, you know, handle this situation both from an economic and, and a safety point of view? Or do we actually feel safe and do we actually trust things to go out there and spend money again? Um, because people must have money because they haven't spent anything. So there must be some money that is ready to go out. What, what is your guys' view? And we start with you, Mark. How do you think, you know, we, there's probably a general recovery in the economy, but how do you think it's going to go? It's going to be V-shape, as some people say. This is going to be very long-term incremental uh, how do you see the the world come back and thereby also the restaurant sector was really dependent on how people spend money yeah um, firstly i think there is the question of whether or not people will have money um, uh, that's an important question because even though people haven't been spending it it might also be you know pointed out that people have not been earning it and and, and this is a this is a real concern for for food businesses because obviously they they only thrive in a context where people can spend that money. Um, so I, you know, as as, as Peter has has um, identified quite correctly, um, the landscape in which food businesses operate, you know, is is radically altered. We we cannot escape this fact. So when we start to ask ourselves, you know, what can operators do to survive and thrive, as you put it, Michael, uh, we have to realize that that question can only be based upon you know a deep understanding of the new world we inhabit uh, and in particular uh, understanding the changes that have already been made to the food service market of, of which actually there, there are many I, I think even though uh, it doesn't appear that there's much action underneath the surface there is actually a lot going on because 
these very, very large, well-funded uh, corporations have carried out you know, detailed research, and they are in, in, in the background uh, conducting trials and, and operations uh, to, to explore what the new models might be look like might look like. So we know that the pandemic it, you know, is going to be here for a long time, and, and we're likely to see um, repeated outbreaks and experience uh, repeated closure and lockdown. I think that's the pattern we're set for. Because as, as Peter had, had, has rightly noticed, there is you know, vac- no vaccine, and, and nor is there likely to be for, for, a, for, for the foreseeable future. Food businesses that um, can afford to and that are highly uh, dependent on markets for investment have called upon the work of consultants and have already, as I said, t- taken decisions as to what the new world is as they see it. Um, and the changes that are coming are structural and will have long-term uh, impact on all food businesses, as, as I alluded to before. So if we just cast our eyes across the horizon, you know, you know, what do we see? I think that the business models that dominate three key segments of the market that have been up, upended, and I've, I've, I've alluded to those, food delivery, food retail, QSR, and contract catering have all been radically changed. Um, two of these models have gone uh, completely silent with only minor representation on the high street. And the third, food delivery is both struggling to survive and broadening its operational model to capture revenue. Like grocery delivery, of course, is, is the example that comes to mind. Into this mix, if you see you know, restaurants of all sizes, independent small franchises and large chains, you will see that they are struggling to understand exactly, as Peter and, and, and you, Michael, have said, how and when they can operate. The question of how has not been answered, nor has the question of when. So in order to secure their businesses and return to some degree of stability, what are they doing? Well, they're reviewing their operations. They're updating procedures as required, if they can. Um, they're looking at operational changes that they can quickly implement to allow customers to come back. But um, Again, there is such an element of the unknown here that they can't actually implement them. So safe food handling practices, what does this look like? Social distancing in production environments, what does this look like? Non-server interface, what does this look like? Importantly, I think um, many are looking to integrate delivery capability. And, and this is important, but it opens all kinds of questions which we could you know, talk about. As mentioned, I believe that food delivery platforms are in financial trouble, and the model that they offer is certainly not ideal in this context. Um, Why do I say this? Well, food delivery platforms seeking um, emergency large-scale financial investment and and altering uh, fundamental aspects of their business really ought to throw some questions out to all of us. Some would say that, you know, uh, what they're doing serves the public interest. Uh, the, the new grocery delivery alliances that Deliveroo and Uber Eats have agreed, for instance. But I, I would question this. And I think that many of the changes that have been quickly implemented have been, have been implemented without the right health and safety regimes in place. You know, we should remind ourselves that um, Deliveroo, Uber Eats, and Just Eat are food businesses. So what kind of food business uh, fails to train its staff in safe food handling procedures? What kind of food business allows hot food product, which should be temperature controlled, to be delivered alongside chilled goods, often in the same transport vessel? What kind 
of uh, food business allows food product to travel without an accurate label and in packaging that has not been sealed or secured. Uh, we really do have to not only um, pause and think about the changes that are underway because of closure, we also have to question the changes that are being implemented behind the scene because these are serious structural changes. So the business model at the heart of these food delivery platforms, to me, and I think to others, seems quite hollow. But, you know, what is it exactly? Food is not simply a commodity, and it should not be treated like any other good you could, you know, wing through a warehouse. So if their current operational model is suspect, I think we should question what really is happening. I know UK government is allowing, if not encouraging, the broadening out of the scope to include grocery delivery. So there is an operational failing to me, it seems to me, followed almost by a regulatory failing. Uh, so if you look at the broader picture, if you look at the financial model, it, it is in m many ways much worse than the, the operational model. Deliveroo's current business model is not really profitable. Uh, some would say that it is not designed to be so, like so many startups. So when you've looked at all the costs, for instance, uh, I think Deliveroo loses money on every single delivery. And this, despite the fact that it charges anywhere between 20 and 35% to the restaurant, and also, of course, a delivery fee for the customer. So something is, is wrong. So when you ask me, you know, what should we be doing to address, um, what should small players be doing to address the problems that COVID-19 has presented them with? How will they survive and thrive? Delivery is an option, but actually, um, the models of delivery that are currently available, the dominant ones, present problems of their own. And that's an interesting thing, uh, Peter. You also mentioned in the intro, delivery uh, is something that you have a very uh, good insights to, and I know you you you've seen it from a global perspective. What what are you thinking around? Because uh, a lot of people have talked about delivery has been the savior for some some people in this this time. But as you said before, nobody is really picking up on revenue that's big enough to pay their bills. And Deliveroo maybe just give them between 10 to, to 60% of their normal revenue. What is your view, Peter, on, on this? First of all, I broadly agree with the, the points that Mark has made. I wouldn't necessarily uh, present them in exactly the, the way that he has, but he's, he's very articulate about it. And I'm, I'm happy to go along and accept it. I think, first of all, um, delivery has helped in the current situation by providing some income, but maybe not profitable income. The, the, the delivery companies have changed their models very slightly so that they've made it a little bit more palatable for the, for the operator. Um, another benefit from doing delivery at the moment is that it keeps an operator's brand alive. It keeps some of their team working together. It keeps some customers uh, in contact with the brand. So th there are there are some benefits in, in the current environment, but the the issues that uh, uh, plague the, uh, the delivery business and that were plaguing the delivery business uh, still um, still exist. Going forward, uh, like so many things, uh, this um, in in this current environment, delivery has been um, exposed, and some changes have been accelerated by um, by the the current crisis. 
the delivery business was probably going to have to uh, undergo some fairly fundamental changes anyway. What is ha- what is happening now, they're going to be brought forward and have to be dealt with sooner. Uh, and that includes the profitability of the operator. How can they make money out of this delivery business? The issues that Mark has raised about the profitability of the delivery companies, the fact that customers are actually having to pay for quite a bit for, for, for some delivery services. So it's actually costing them more than if they went out and had a meal themselves. So all in all, there are changes which needed to be addressed and are, will be addressed. Um, and if I could just throw in a, an, another issue um along this theme of acceleration i think the relationship between operators and their landlords is also being disrupted by the by the virus um there are others but that that's a big one as is delivery it's uh, now we talked about delivery and i mentioned as well a bit like mark that there's some signs that uh, they're in trouble and they were they were quite clearly about they needed the investment now and you said mark there was about paying back death uh more than investing in the business and growing it what about the other platforms because they're not the only third-party platform is that a similar picture you see mark that they they, they are also challenged because i i guess a lot of the sales they lost under this crisis also from the restaurants who closed down i guess like i could imagine wakamama and some of the well-known casual dining groups uh, had quite some significant sales through these platforms if they were on deliveroo yes um i would agree firstly i think deliveroo's model is perhaps the worst performing model financially and operationally um, and I think they are in a very, very difficult position. Um, hence the, the the reach out to Amazon for funding. I, I would question the UK government's uh, move to 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 um, endorse this this uh, this intervention. Um, and I think I think it should be held up to some scrutiny, as as Just Eat believe it should be as well. Um, but to answer your question, I think. I think that, first of all, food delivery platforms are not all the same. They're not all designed in the same way. Just Eat has a different financial model. Uh, but one thing which they all do is they throw a significant challenge in the way of most uh, food operations by the the excessive charges they apply. And actually, I would argue the lack of return to those businesses for uh, the money that they seek. Um, so they overturn uh, the operational models that food businesses have traditionally created. And I think the um, the financial cost is, is untenable. So at a very high level, I, I would simply say that most food delivery platforms, whether it be Just Eat, uh, Deliveroo, or Uber Eat, are not really providing the service they ought to provide to uh, food operators and, and independent food businesses. And, and I think there are new food delivery models coming that, that may, um, if they're positioned right and if they're, if they're uh, designed right, could actually come to the service of, of restaurants in a completely different way. Uh, and I, and I and I I look forward to to that kind of work emerging. And I guess we we also talking delivery here because that's when people have reopened. When I read through the the news feeds, 
that's what they're doing. They're opening up for delivery or click and collect or retail e-commerce. E-commerce has become a very big thing in, in restaurants as well. I think Leon has done some really big move on this. Um, um, and I guess that's here to stay in a way because everybody knew they had to get on the delivery thing, the e-commerce digitalization. Was, there was just a bit of uh, maybe a bit slower than other industries, but this is really, I'm impressed by how quickly it's gone the last eight weeks to see how many, many hospitality businesses then are starting to adapt in to become more digital. Uh, if we should talk a bit about digitalization and delivery in, in the same point of view, where where where, where do you see that uh, restaurants going to be from, from that point of view? Because I guess... It's more important than ever to have multiple revenue streams. There's recession proof or pandemic proofed, if we can say so. I don't know if you want to start out, uh, Peter, with some thoughts on that. I think it's very interesting um, the ways that the um, the food supply market has has evolved over the last couple of months. Um, because the uh, food service industry has shut down, people still need to eat at, eat as much food as they did before. So what they have done, they've they bought their food from from the retail shops, um, and retailers have found that their uh, sales have increased by around about fifteen percent because that's the the transfer from the food service market after you've allowed for the the margin differentials between food service and retail, it comes around about 15% increase as far as retailers are concerned. So food is now primarily supplied by retailers, whereas before it was just um, a fairly large percentage of the whole, around about uh, 70%. But at the same time, the uh, some um, operators you you instance leon but there are lots of others as well have moved down the uh, track of um, supplying grocery lines um alcohol those sort of things to fill their coffers and um that's an interesting pivot because it mirrors what's been happening in the other direction uh, as we move forward um and this is a this is something which I I think is very important. The food service market is not about food. Um, it's about service. So within the food service word, um, only four out of the 11 letters, around about 35%, um, are food. The rest is service. And that's what the industry is, is fundamentally about. So if if you move your business too far in the direction of uh, or away from service you're not in a sense being true to this sector you're moving more towards becoming a retailer and picking up something that mark said a little bit earlier um being um, a commodity um supplier but uh, all all of that gets tied up within uh, so i'm i'm now sort of getting around to addressing your point about um technology um it it's all all surrounded by technology because technology surrounds us nowadays it it has done for the last few years and it's really beginning to hit uh, into the food service market um and i just sort of end up by saying that technology uh, is something that the food service sector 
uh, struggles with um, when it comes to customer facing issues, because the relationship with the customer for, from a food service operator is all about um, openness and uh, uh, personal interaction. Um, technology performs a very valuable role, but it it's not a replacement for personal interaction. So where it can um, live with um, uh, live live alongside and support personal interaction, it's got a role to play. Where it tries to end up being um, replacing the um, uh, the personal interaction, I think that is probably pushing it a little bit too far. That's a really, really good point, uh, Peter. I often say it, uh, you know, it has to help the the operator with the heavy lifting and it has either to save time or in principle make money or save money. Um, and I think I think that's a very fine line, as you said, that it, it cannot take over the, the, the service bit. Uh, I'm still, still very skeptical about the whole robot thing uh, in general, uh, if that actually works, because you say you're, You're in the, you're in service of others when you when you're in this industry. Mark, what is your view on technology and what it can do uh, as we we go forward? Uh, it definitely has a role to play, as Peter says. It's, it's all around us anyway uh, in society. No, absolutely. I completely uh, concur with with uh, much of what uh, Peter has said. We are immersed in technology as never before. But uh, there's a, there's a there's a prior question. I think we're we're actually asking. I think Peter. It's hinted in, in Peter's response that he's also thinking along these lines that, you know, when we design and develop technology for the food service sector, what what are we really doing? Uh, what we're doing, I think, is we're we're kind of asking the customer what it is they need in order to complete the tasks that they have. Any business has got to be built on asking this fundamental question and technology that gets in the way that doesn't answer the need or that diverts them to another need uh, is rarely successful um, so at the moment um, their needs obviously are many um, how we understand what their needs are and, and how we prioritize them will help us and I think is going to be um, key to the success of any food business We need the right kind of technology, and we need to move away from the wrong kind of technology. I know that's very simple, uh, but I think I think it's true. So until recently, um, restaurants were, you know, fundamental to the way we created and and maintained community. Uh, they're they're often cultural settings and places where even you know simple actions can hold uh, great significance. Um, their importance really cannot be overestimated, and we need to do whatever we can to support them. But in lockdown, people have looked closely at their relation to food and have reassessed past practices. I think this is, is, is fundamental. Some changes, like cooking more regularly at home, I think are here to stay, and, and we should celebrate this. The question is, what, what relation does technology have to this? Does technology have a role to play here? I think, yes, certainly. And there have been many businesses that have been founded on just this idea, you know, helping people access and share food knowledge, helping people share food ideas, helping people um, communicate directly with the chefs that they have known from the restaurant they visited, uh, helping people compare and choose the right products, um, helping people um, clear or keep clear of allergies, uh, helping people eat more healthily, and most importantly, I think, 
helping people that are struggling to get access to nourishing food. So there's plenty of room for the right type of technology. But as I said before, I, I will argue that most of the technology in the market has been designed um, not necessarily to coerce or co-opt the needs uh, of the consumer, but it has had that rather deleterious effect. So what we need to do, I think, um, in terms of technology is, is quite simple in some ways. Uh, we need to ask consumers you know, what they need as well as what they want. And the two questions are really not the same. If we look at food delivery systems, for instance, you know, we believe that people want to know, I think, that the food product that they've ordered is fresh, safe, and good. Well, you know, we could ask ourselves, what kind of food management system is needed? What kind of a food delivery system would this require? And I, and I don't think we have that system at the moment, but we, we can ask the question. If we begin our journey by, you know, just kind of reflecting on the needs of the consumer, I think we'll quickly recognize that uh, most food management and food delivery systems are pointedly uh, designed around the needs of the manufacturers, the producers, the retailers, and the delivery platforms themselves. They do actually very little to answer the real needs of consumers. So I think uh, if, if we're to focus on technology, we need to focus on technology from the point of view of their consumers. The food delivery platforms and other providers of food service technology must really begin to see that their services are much more than, you know, logistic services, for instance. I've always found it very odd to find the same processes, uh, non-food item delivery being used by massive companies for the delivery of food products. Surely food delivery platforms have been designed or ought to be designed and built to manage the safe delivery of food products. If, if they haven't, uh, then, then why is this? Uh, so to go back to the, 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 the question, technology. Yes, technology has a role to play, but as Peter and as you, Michael, have pointed out, the right kind of technology is probably, quite possibly, not here yet. But I think, interestingly, the context of COVID-19 might bring it to the surface. And I, I, I think there are, there's a lot of really interesting innovation going on. It won't solve all of our problems, but it will possibly secure for us our humanness and our close proximity to food, the community of food that we have always inhabited. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. The one of the things you said, Mark and Peter, as well, is a thing I talk a lot about in the moment. There's no doubt about when um, we come we come back in and want to engage with business as a customer. It's all about feeling safe in ways. Maslow's first step or the lowest part of the, the the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and you talked about needs, Mark. And I think that's where you know you can create. You know, you can customer would see technology helpful if you have a contactless environment. The same with employees as well between the employee and the customers, because these weird situations that will come up and how we manage them, maybe technology can facilitate that. And then there's also how do we actually, you know, uh, in a in normally we go into a pret. Let's take that example. We know we're going to have a lunch. We're going to queue up in a long queue with a lot of people around us. How how can technology facilitate that as well, or restaurant design technology in in combination? So I, I agree. It, we I think COVID have really put pressure on technology sides to 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 innovate a bit. 
Um, to, to move the, the conversation a bit further, because we want to get around everything before the time runs from us, um, the future. If you guys should look in the crystal ball and think about, let's say, 12 to 18 months, that's even long into the future right now. Uh, how do you think that uh, the industry look from, from what you know today? There's nobody that will keep you accountable for if it doesn't go that way but what is your your belief in a way what is your fate about it and let's start with you peter how do you see the this all involved from here now after we are in uh, the valley of death as i said before <laughs> um, well i'll give you my forecast for the next hundred years and if i'm yeah. <laughs> if i'm wrong you can have your money back yeah um, <laughs> um so you you've asked a, a horrible question yeah Because I can't see any reason for saying, well, yes, but it will be all right. Yes, I think it will. Um, the world will carry on. The world of food service is full of incredibly um, entrepreneurial, innovative, fantastic people who will make things happen. But what will be hugely different, I think, will be the scale of what we're talking about. Um, uh, I've done some detailed work, but really the detail can go out the window um, because every day it changes. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if in a year's time we're talking about an industry which is half the size, maybe even less, of what it was um, just a few months ago. Um, uh, it will be degraded because skills won't be there. Customers will have um, unmet requirements. They'll be a bit grumpy. They won't have a lot of money. Um, so I, I'm painting a quite a, quite a dark picture because, unfortunately, that's my feeling of where we're going to be. I like to be positive. I'm finding it difficult to be positive. And uh, Mark, what is your prediction? Uh, yes, I, <laughs> I agree with Peter. It's a terrible question. I'll, I'll do my best to answer it. Um, uh, yeah, terrible question. So um, Maybe by just a challenging question. <laughs> yes, uh, it is a challenging question. You know, over the past decade, you know, food businesses have created, you know, kind of detailed maps of the terrain they, they wish to conquer and operational guides on, on how to achieve this. The problem is that the maps are no longer accurate, and and many of the um, operational guides are no longer instructive. So food businesses, uh, kind of regardless of their technological capabilities, regardless of their size, regardless of their location, are faced with a new terrain and and must not, you know, make the rather fundamental error, which which we all do. I I do it on a daily basis of using old maps to try to navigate a new world. Um, much of the published device, and, and, and even the material uh, you kindly sent me, Michael, uh, I believe fails to acknowledge really uh, the new world we're in. Um, so the, the suggestions I would make um, is that, uh, you know, when we design and develop technology uh, for the food service sector, when we innovate in the food service sector, we really think about uh, those we are serving. Um, and I would, I would suggest like, you know, three things that operators might, might know about as, as you've asked me to think about in, in terms of 
how to prepare for for reopening. So, so firstly, I, I would suggest that you know they carry out like a standstill and conduct a financial review of their business, um, uh, given the measures you know um, that they might be planning on adopting. They they really need to think about whether they have a viable business. So, I think um, the dog picture is that a lot of people will be asking themselves that question about whether or not they have a viable business and they'll be coming to a negative conclusion. And that is going to be really difficult. Um, we need to ask the hard questions. And this question uh, needs to be run up against various scenarios um, that that many of these businesses will have sketched. Um, um, we all do this all the time. What, for instance, uh, do we do uh, if we offer a click and collect service? You know, what do the financials actually look like? Do they make any sense? And as I said before, the terrain has changed. Uh, so we really need to uh, reconnect with our customers. Um, I think uh, many businesses will find that their customer base has changed beyond all recognition. And I also think that businesses in this dark context really do need to reach out and and get involved. So if they decide, you know, they're in it for the long term, they will carry on with their businesses closed for the seeable future. They'll try to open when it's suitable or when they think the time is right. They need to think about this new context that they're going to be in. Is their business going to be sustainable? I mean, what are our food systems going to look like in, I, I don't know, eight to 12 months time? I think they're going to change. Um, I hope they change because I think there's, there are things fundamentally wrong with our food systems. And I think we've we've re- received a wake-up call. We must remember that COVID-19 emerged from a food context. It emerged out of a um, badly degraded food system. Uh, and we don't have time to go into that in detail, but I, I think we all uh, would, would acknowledge that. Um, so, you know, if if you believe, as I do, that, you know, the food delivery systems, for instance, are here to stay, we really ought to ask ourselves, well, how could they be improved? What what this might mean for the larger food system itself? I, I think these are questions we should be asking ourselves. There are, you know, there are several alternate food delivery providers who are working hard to change the nature of food delivery, I think, for the better. Um, uh, they're much more likely to help you, particularly with, with your margins, as we've seen. Um, and um, I think we need to question not just the context we're in, but the kind of emergence that we want. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I agree with uh, lots of the things you guys said. And I agree, especially with you, Peter, on the size of the sector. And I think, Mark, we discussed this before. It's going to be it's going to be very dire to look at the sector in 12 to 18 months, maybe yeah, 50% only back. And um and I agree that uh, it's a very different positioning of your business and you need to know or try to understand do you actually have a business, as you said, Mark. And I also believe it's a very different kind of skill set and uh, leadership approach. It, it's a bit like uh, in the old days uh, where there's a hole in the wall and you can make a restaurant out of that. You will see things popping up as well as we go forward the next couple of years that wouldn't have had a chance in the, the previous environment because it was not good enough. It didn't look smart enough. That You will see very creative um, food operators coming out of that, I believe. Uh, then I think, like we mentioned, technology is going to be a huge part of, of this journey one or the other way. 
Uh, but again, there's also a bit of hope because as my mom said to me, and I mentioned this before, and you guys probably heard that as well, there's, there's always going to be work for the undertaker and the, uh, the restaurateur because we're going to die and we're going to eat. And uh, my mom is an old restaurateur and uh, she's been through a couple of crises. She said, I- I'm glad I'm not taking part of this, she said, totally. But yeah, because I don't know what I should do in this crisis. But she, she, she's quite positive, even though she, she, she thinks also it's quite dark right now. Um, Peter, what, what would your, uh, in the end of here, what would your, uh, your from, from where the world is right now, what would your top three advice be to operators out there? Because Marky gave a couple of his. Uh, what, what would yours be? to to uh, to wrap it up in a way what what would you go out and do right now the first thing i'd do is go and buy a crystal ball yeah i'm sure they're available on ebay i just haven't found one yet i think a watchword has got to be um, adaptability or agility because we we can make plans and everybody's making plans but as i think it was von clausewitz said uh, about war um, the best plans only last as long uh, or until you come into first contact with the enemy. And your plans will fall apart uh, when you open your doors, I think. So um, be adaptable, um, be flexible, be agile. I, that's uh, what I'd suggest. And I also think um, if you're in it, you've got to be prepared for the long haul. If you're not, if you can't stand the long haul, or you don't have the financial resources, or you don't have the the uh, mental um, ability, then the best thing to do is to draw a line under it and uh, walk away now. It, it would be my advice. Um, and f- finally, if you are in it, if you are staying, then you must, must, must be financially secure. Very good advice, both of you. Um, we, we're running out of time here, so I would uh, say thank you to you, Peter, for coming on again and uh, give your brilliant insight to thing. And the same to, to you, Mark. Thank you very much for joining as well and give your, your perspective, Think, And I'm sure there's people out there that's going to have some very good uh, nuggets out of this and something they can go, as you said, Peter, is what you do with the information you have that's more important than knowing it so thank you very much peter for coming on thank you very much for having me i've really enjoyed it thank you to you mark thank you michael and thank you peter a real pleasure stay safe out there everyone thank you peter and mark wow amazing insights and there's no doubt that the time ahead will be difficult for the industry but also full of opportunity for the progressive and agile operator If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share it, rate it with people you think that would benefit from it. And also let us know what you think. Thanks to VitaMojo for making it possible. If you'd like to know more about VitaMojo, find them on software.vitamojo.com or contact them directly at nick.lethal at vitamojo.com.